Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption podcast, and we are back again, another week and another study from the book of Haggai. I know you were looking forward to this. Um, I, I will have the book of Haggai memorized before I'm finished teaching it. I hope you will also. It's just two, two chapters, uh, you know, 30 some odd verses. You can do it. So join me in memorizing this book. Now we're going to start in Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. We're going to spend the next couple of lessons uh, last week was in this same passage. Uh, next week will be in this same passage. There's a couple of important ideas we're going to look at. Um, this week, the idea of the fear of the Lord. Very important topic. Very important idea. Greatly lacking. <laughs> and so let's see if we can present this from the Word of God in a way that will uh, help you and I give the Lord the proper fear and reverence he deserves. So Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So in Judah's repentance, there were a few key ingredients. First was their decisive obedience to God's word. Very important. They had been rebellious, complacent, disobedient, but they repented of that attitude and made the decision to obey the word of God. But a significant factor in this decision was their sudden fear of the Lord. We should absolutely fear the Lord our God. You read the book of Haggai and see what he did to those people because of their disobedience. The purpose of that is to help you fear transgressing God because transgressing God 
causes harm. It causes problems. It hurts people. It kills people. It, it causes you to lie to people. When you, when you live an unrighteous life, it produces sin, death, disease, everything we don't want. But a proper fear of God that would help you to live a good, godly life of righteousness, well, that produces joy, peace, long-suffering, all the wonderful things we want. And to help facilitate our desire to live in a good, godly way, we need to fear God. We need to fear what he can and will, and will do to you. And um, God is so gracious today. We live in the dispensation of the grace of God. We live in this, this uh, dispensation in which God steps back and allows you so much space to learn of Jesus Christ, to repent, to live on your own, to make your own decisions, that that gets abused. We confuse that reality. We refuse God's approach in that way uh, with, with weakness or that he's just okay with everyone and everything that, that everyone is doing, and that's not the case. He is going to judge this world, and you want to prepare to meet thy God. <laughs> Now, Bible truths are often downplayed or altered to be more favorable in our day. When modern-day disciples hear in hard saying of, from God's Word, they tend to rebuke God and try to set Him straight. <laughs> Rather than allowing the Word of God to develop in man a healthy fear of the Lord, modern man expects the Lord to develop a healthy fear of man. And it ain't going to happen. Man has made computers and the combustion engine. Surely this merits reverence from God toward man. <laughs> this attitude of self-exaltation knows no limits in the age of social media, allowing anyone to profess themselves to be wise. This mentality that the uncorruptible God is subject to the corrupt minds of man is abundantly evident. The darkness that prevails and the confusion that abounds prove that modern man lives in defiant disobedience to God. It's a scary situation. And the more defiant, the more disobedient, the more that death reigns, blood runs in people's streets, your property is not safe, your person is not safe, nothing is safe. When there's no fear of God, when everyone thinks they're an animal who originated from an ape, you fornicate like, like dogs and you steal from people like like an animal, I mean, an animal that has no understanding of property rights, personal space. When animals want to breed, they just do it. You know, people act like animals when they don't have any attachment to God, no fear of God. They've been told their entire life that they just kind of evolved this way and morality is subjective. It's all just relevant to the situation. It's all subject to your opinion. And... You're nothing more than an animal trying to figure it out. And people are starting to act like animals in response to that teaching. Interestingly, the book of Haggai records an anomaly in Judah's history, a time of repentance and revival in response to the preaching of God's prophet. Praise the Lord. Israel as a nation came to be known for harming and killing God's prophets. But in Haggai, Judah moved away from a position of disobedience to a place of obedience. That's, <laughs> that's the hard move. That's what we don't want to do. In the end, their newfound obedience pleased God. Imagine that. 
So Haggai 112, let's look at it, at it again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. This change of attitude was a pivotal moment in Judah's history. Had they continued in their disobedience, the outcome may have looked more like the book of Malachi rather than what we see in the book of Haggai. The temple may have remained in ruins and God would have seen no further need to speak to his chosen nation again, just like he did in the book of Malachi. The destruction of Solomon's temple and the destruction of Zerubbabel's temple prove God is willing to leave his own people to their idols if they refuse to repent and obey his word. You don't want God to turn his back on you and to leave you. The Bible is very clear. We should fear both life without God as well as the God who gave us life. You need to fear both. Life without God is treacherous. It's dangerous. But and we understand that the goodness of God leadeth, leadeth thee to repentance. You know, we, we, we get that. That is true. But the fear of God will help you stay there. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons we don't, we don't, as citizens of a nation, uh, when that nation functions somewhat efficiently, one of the reasons we don't break laws is because we fear the punishment. That, that's a good motivator. That's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with fearing the punishment. The punishment should be sufficient enough that people say, I'm not doing that. I'm not breaking that law. I'm not putting myself in a position to be subject to this government and to be, and to be uh, you know, treated accordingly. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Now, these are the commandments. Now, listen to this intimate relationship. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Do you see the, the intent? The fear of the Lord has an intimate connection with obedience to God's word. If you don't fear God, what motivation would there be for you to obey his commandments? If there's no need to fear him, then there's no need to concern yourself with disobeying him. But if there are repercussions to being disobedient, uh, that, might, that might make you think twice about disobeying God. If we do not fear God, we certainly will see no need to, to obey his commands. The evidence of this reality is made clear as we look around today at a world that doesn't believe they have any reason to fear God. They believe God answers to them. God is subject to the thoughts of man and, and the opinions of modern man. They have no interest in a demanding God who imposes expectations upon his creation. Well, but he does. There are expectations, there are requirements. And if you don't meet those expectations and requirements, you're going to be subject to God's wrath. You're putting yourself in a terrible situation, and, and you don't have to do that. I encourage you now, listen to this and don't do that. Fear God and, and obey him. 
and your life will be much, much better for it. Now, Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Now, that doesn't sound like it's a, <laughs> a suggestion. You will fear him and you will serve him. You'll swear by his name. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, the modern day abuse of the word swear. Uh, there's a proper intent for this phrase, for this statement. But the verse continues, you shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. I'd say that's pretty good motivation to obey God and to stay away from idols. What other motivation do you need? God said, you're going to push me to a point that I'll destroy you off the face of the earth. That should concern you. That doesn't bother you. It's because you don't, you don't believe God. You don't believe what he's saying. You don't believe he's going to do anything about it. And he is. Now, whether he destroys you off the face of the earth now or he waits till you stand before him and you answer for the way you lived and your disobedience or your lack of fear, you will answer for it. And uh, God should be taken very serious. Now, we should do all we can as individuals, as a nation, and the body of Christ to prevent the anger of the Lord from being kindled against us. You do not. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You do not want to cause God to stir his anger up against you. You want to be very sensitive to that. Today, many teach that when the Bible says the fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean fear. It means something other than fear <laughs> or something, actually something less than fear. You know, they say, well, when, when God says to fear him, he doesn't really mean to be fearful of him. That's exactly what he means. He just told you either fear me, serve me, swear by my name, stay away from the, the God of the heathens around you, or I'll take you off the face of the earth. <laughs> I'll destroy you from off the face of the earth. What is his intent in saying that? To scare you. He wants you to understand the depth of the consequences that come from living a life that is ungodly. So he means fear. You should be scared of God. There is blessing in that and there is a curse in that. The blessing is when you fear God, it causes you to stay on his good side. It motivates you. It stirs you to, to, to not want to be disobedient. And through that obedience, your long-term relationship with God is strengthened. It's a good thing. God is providing this to you and to myself as a motivating factor. It, it is meant to stir in you a certain amount of fear so that you have a proper reverence for God and what he intends to do to anyone and anything that is unrighteous. And we don't want to be unrighteous. I would be hesitant of, of, of men who aim to teach you that a lax mentality regarding the fear of God is acceptable. <laughs> I'd find another preacher. Uh, that's, he's not helping you by trying to inform you that God doesn't really want you to fear him when he tells you repeatedly in the word of God, fear me. So I, I'd find another pastor or missionary or whoever it is that's telling you that. I'd get away from uh, I'd find someone who would be honest with you about what the Bible says. That's what I'm getting at here. 
Uh, it is supposed to be a motivating factor meant to help steer you in a godly direction. The goodness of God will lead us to repentance, but the fear of God will inspire us to obey the Lord's commands. The book of Deuteronomy repeats this sentiment often. I mean, we could look at several more. Service to God, obedience to God, they are directly related to our willingness to fear the Lord our God. Now, how will you serve him? How can you be obedient to him? You've got to know his word. You need to know what he said. That's, they're all, they're, they're, there's an intimate connection there between all of these. They don't exist independently. Um, you, 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 they all kind of come together. As you hear the word of God, you hear what he says about himself in the word of God, and then you find out what he will do to you. If you violate the word of God, that should inspire in you a certain amount of fear that will cause you to serve him, obey him, stay faithful to him. Um, It's no different. I have a beautiful daughter at home. I love her dearly. I had no idea the amount of love a person could have for someone else until my wife and I had a daughter. Uh, I have a wonderful wife. I love my wife, but man, my daughter is just, she just developed a special place in my heart, but she fears me and she should because as much as I love her, if she gets out of line, I have to make that pretty smiling face. I I cause it to have tears. (laughs) And the reason for that is because she needs to learn there are boundaries in life. God wants you to know. That doesn't signify any less love God has for you. God loves you. So he created boundaries. He informs you of those boundaries and then says, if you will fear me, it will help keep you away from, from, from crossing those boundaries. And, and then you have a life that is strong and foundational and disciplined and healthy and, and emotionally stable and godly and spiritual and just... The, the the positives to this are innumerable. The negatives to it are you're in serious trouble with God and your life is going to be a total disaster. And we can see, you just look out across the world. You see people who hate God. Their lives are a total disaster. They're in a perpetual state of confusion. They might smile on social media, but if you sat down with them and talked to them and got them to be honest, their their life is in total disarray. So I want us to look at a significant case study here. In 2 Kings 17, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, the northern kingdom, not the nation, but the, the, this is at a time when they were separated and uh, the Lord's anger is kindled against Israel. Um, the result, God sent them into captivity in Assyria. The king of Assyria sent his people to live in the land when Israel was removed, but their manner of living was contrary to God's approval. They're now living in, in the promised land, these Gentile heathen. Come in and uh, Israel's taken out. These heathen come in and uh, they're living contrary to God's word in God's land. It's very interesting. So God sends these lions to attack them and they wonder why God's doing this. And God said, because you're not living the way I told you to live. I want people to live in my land. Send one of my priests back to teach you how to live. It's very interesting. It's amazing. (laughs) So the result, God sent them into captivity in Assyria The king of Assyria sent his people to live in the land when Israel was removed, but their manner of living was contrary to God's approval. So God required the king of Assyria to send priests back to the promised land to teach the heathen that now live there the manner of living that God required of them in in that land. So 2 Kings 17, 
verses 22 through 28. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharavim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Very interesting. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore, they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of, of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests, whom you brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of, of the God of the land. Then one of the priests, whom they had carried away from Samaria, came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So you can be taught how to fear the Lord. Do you want to be taught? Do you want to know? Or would you prefer a preacher who stands in front of you and says, don't fear God. He just loves you and thinks you're wonderful and has no ill thoughts about you whatsoever. It's a matter of what you desire, what you want. If you want to serve God, if you want to obey God, you got to fear him and you can be taught to fear God. In Deuteronomy, that second passage we read, he told them, thou shalt fear. In that passage, he's saying, you're just going to do it. I'm telling you to do it. So it's interesting that God tells these Gentiles, you can stay there, but you'll have to learn how to act in my land. Was he not the God of the, of the whole earth? Should his creation not learn how to act in his earth Everyone, who's going to go teach them if there are very few people who have any fear of God? And if God's pastors and preachers are telling people, don't really fear him. Yes, fear God. Don't be misled. You need to have a healthy fear of God. You don't want to toil with God. And since he is the God of the whole earth, shouldn't we learn how we'd, we, he would have us to conduct ourselves? We all should fear living in a home or a nation that is defiant of the word of God. You look at every nation that defies God, that lives in open defiance. Not that there's a, there's a Christian nation anywhere, but there are some who, who apply more Christian principle than others. That nation is peaceful, prosperous, doing wonderful. Every nation where, where people live in open defiance of God, things are falling apart or they're in total destruction. It's a third world country. They'll never get ahead. Things will, things will never go right. The fear of the Lord has severe consequences. Um, we act as though we have no scriptural evidence of God's willingness to deal with sin in this life or in the next. And that's not a good mentality to, to adopt. Now, we who belong to the body of Christ, 
we have been made kings and priests, right? So we have the responsibility in every land to teach the people how they might fear the Lord. If these priests could come back and teach a bunch of heathen who wanted to stay in Samaria how to fear God, they went back and they taught them how they might fear the Lord. Think about that. <laughs> Isn't that my responsibility? Isn't that your responsibility? You need to teach your, your family how to fear the Lord. Teach your children how to fear the Lord. Teach your church how to fear the Lord. Teach your community how to fear the Lord. Teach your nation how they might fear the Lord before the Lord comes back and says, I'm about to deal with these people. They don't fear me now, but they're about to. You might have twin towers come crashing to the ground and the whole nation immediately turn to God for about two minutes. America is so comfortable. I don't know how I'm terrified to consider what it will require of God to cause America to fear him again. You should be terrified of that also. So why don't you and I go out and do all we can to inter interact with those around us and teach them how they might fear the Lord. Instead of just letting things go to waste and kicking back and relaxing on a sinking ship. Let's, let's help it float. <laughs> let's not let it sink. Psalm 33 verses 1 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Mm. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Now, uh, this indicates that one way you can help people learn how to fear the Lord is to tell them that he's the creator. Th this passage is saying to fear the Lord and stand in awe. I mean, he could just speak the world into existence. He could set limits on the oceans, on the waters. He scattered the stars. I mean, he, he's the creator of heaven and earth. That should cause you to reverence him. That should inspire in you. I mean, Uganda, it's some of the most beautiful terrain you'll ever see in your life. It's a beautiful place. You look out at that and you see that God created that. Oh, that'll, it'll warm your heart. It'll make you think about God. It'll, make you, it'll, it'll bless your heart. You look out at God's creation, you look at, you stand at the top of a mountain and look out at that and think that God made that. That's incredible. Look at the ocean. Not only did God create that ocean, but he, he can tell it what to do. <laughs> that should inspire in you and I a sense of awe. Um, the word of the Lord is right. We can make sure we are right by being obedient to his word. You know, the Bible says in, in Isaiah, he says, quit you like men and, and remember that God is the creator. <laughs> Want to be a man? Just keep in mind that God created heaven and earth. Get that in your head and let that, you know, the heavens declare 
the glory of God. Think about that. He is the creator. So all the earth should fear him and stand in awe of him. This is no light matter. Now, I understand most of the world has turned away from this idea. They reject this idea uh, in favor for a Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I mean, think, think about that. You, you look out at the mountains and say, wow, this accidentally happened. <laughs> no, no that, is, that is stupid. That makes no sense whatsoever. You know, the, you, first of all, th- something like this doesn't accidentally happen. It's, it's a scientific fact that something like this doesn't accidentally happen. It's a scientific fact that something cannot come from nothing. There has to be an eternal starting point. That eternal starting point is God. That's just, just how it is. Now, you might disagree with that. That doesn't make it false. Your unwillingness to agree doesn't change the fact. But if we were to go out as Christians and help people understand God is the creator, we could have world peace overnight if all men feared the Lord and obeyed him. If all men looked to the God of the Bible and said, that's the creator of heaven and earth. I'm going to fear him. I'm going to stand in awe of him. Well, world peace would break out. <laughs> of course, that's not going to happen because too many people hate God. Too many people want to fight against God. Psalm 115, verses 9 through 13. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord both small and great. So I just wish God would bless me. Do you fear him? Do you have a healthy fear of God? That, that apparently, according to the word of God, is a source of blessing. Doesn't matter if you're small or great. You want to be blessed by God? Fear him. Fear him. Uh, I mean, look how inclusive God is. You could say he believes in equality. <laughs> He will equally bless those who fear him, and he will equally damn those who reject his word. Praise the Lord. He is no respecter of persons, but there is a way to gain his respect. Listen to this, Acts 10, verses 34 through 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is available to anyone, everywhere, small, great, black, white, every nation, everywhere in the world. God is inclusive. God is equal. He will equally respect you if you fear him. He will equally damn you if you reject him. You want God's blessing? Fear the Lord. Stop letting people tell you that you don't have to fear him. You do have to fear him. He said he wants you to fear him. He has said it repeatedly. We've seen it repeatedly here. God wants you to fear him. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 4. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. It's a wonderful thing to, to be subject to the mercy and the grace of God. 
those are abundantly available. But if you fear him, you'll get yourself in a position to receive his mercy and his grace. If you don't fear him, you're going to, you're going to abuse it. You're going to take advantage of it. You know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how, how, how shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? So if you understand God is gracious and merciful, and that becomes an excuse for you to be abusive, it's because you don't fear God. But if you understand he's gracious and merciful and you fear him, man, that is a beautiful combination. That is a, that is a well-formed life. That, that develops a proper mentality and, and approach to life that will be helpful, that will strengthen you, that will help you. It, it'll, it'll motivate you to live a good and godly life. And that is absolutely available to anyone, anywhere who will take advantage of it. Jeremiah 5, verses 20 through 24. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people. And without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not, fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. (laughs) Man, that is descriptive. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain, both the former and the latter. In his season, he reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. So once again, we see Judah's attitude toward God in the book of Jeremiah, the book in which the Lord informed them of their pending captivity if they did not repent. And of course, they did not repent, and they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And here, here, the Lord's saying here, they don't fear me. They are rebellious to the point that they are gone. And he notes here, one of the reasons you, you should fear him is because I can tell the ocean, stay right there, and it will not move. God says you should look at that fact, and that should inspire fear in your heart, fear of God. And instead, people all over the world say, I don't care. I could care less about God. I don't think he exists. I don't care about his word. I don't care what he has to say. I don't care what he thinks is right. I don't care what he thinks is wrong. I don't care about the order he set up that rules and regulates this world. I don't care. I do not fear God. And the fruit of that is being borne out all over the place. Confusion abounds, violence abounds, theft abounds, rape abounds, suicide abounds. This is all the fruit of a lack of fearing God, a lack of attendance to his word, a lack of obedience, a lack of service. And the church is guilty of this as well. We turn God into a big teddy bear upstairs who who doesn't care how people live. You just come as you are to church. We'll not ask you to change anything. Dress how you want, act how you want, live how you want. God has no expectations of you. It's a lie. 
It's a lie and you're helping to perpetuate that lie. And it needs to stop. God is angry with the wicked every single day. And he's going to do something about it. And he might do something about it in your nation or your home or your life sooner than later. You should fear that. You should fear God. I had a guy contact me recently. He said that I need to stop preaching on hell. There's no reason to use fear-mongering. God is telling you here, I want you to use fear-mongering. I want you to terrify people. I want them to know what I will do to them. I want them, I want, I want them to fear what I will do to them if they violate my word. I also want them to look at my great power. I am the creator of heaven and earth. I control the oceans. I made the mountains. I, I scatter the stars. And then that should cause them to fear me also and to stand in awe of me. And instead, we encourage people to do nothing. But to all who mock God now, you will someday tremble in his presence. You can choose to fear him now. Or a day is coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's going to happen. That is going to be a dreadful day for those of you who, who, who found no relevance in the fear of the Lord. And it's a choice you're making. You're choosing not to find relevance. Your bold defiance may cause you to gain a large social media following. <laughs> I just wonder if you will be willing to televise your cowardice when you face the true and living God. You're going to put that on Facebook? Going to put that on YouTube? When you stand before that throne in judgment, the Bible says on, the, on Mount Sinai, when they heard God's voice, it sounded like thunder. I want you ima to imagine yourself standing before that throne and a voice that sounds like thunder cracks out at you and tells you to answer for yourself. I would get those things straightened out now. Don't wait till then. I would fear God now. Do not wait till you're standing before him and he's demanding that you answer him. The Bible says prepare to meet thy God. Prepare. I, I would prepare in a good way. I would fear the Lord. I would do what he says. Obey him. Now there's two sides to this. It's not just fear him and be scared of him. You should do that. But that fear, that fear will, will, will inspire in you obedience to God's word, which will then please God and keep you on, on such blessed terms with him that your life is wonderful. It's a good thing to fear God. The result of fearing God is a positive thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a negative. We just, as Americans, we don't like to be told to fear. Now, you fear homosexuals. You fear to speak your mind at work. You fear telling people about Jesus Christ. You fear telling people who you voted for. <laughs> you fear speaking out against the transgender community. You fear man. But you don't fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your fear is improperly placed. You should fear God 
And let that encourage you to go and be bold before man. You know, out, out witnessing this week, um, praise the Lord. Yesterday, we, uh, Brother Gross and I went out and told, told people about Jesus. And um, we led a young lady to the Lord. And on our way, before we met her, her and a young man were sitting together. And we, we began witnessing to them. The young man had a testimony of salvation. The, the young lady did not. She had no, no clue. And uh, we gave her the gospel. Gross was adamant to give those two the gospel. And she listened intently, made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we got her number, got her information. Lord willing, we're going to follow up with her and and uh, try to do some discipleship and, and encourage her to fear the Lord and to live for the Lord. But on our way, before we met this lady, we met a, a man who was talking to a woman. The two of them were obviously involved in an improper relationship, and we uh, disrupted it, I guess you could say. <laughs> I began talking to the man and found out he is he's a rare sight in Masaka. Uh, the, the man had a, had a degree in psychology. Now you can imagine what that entails, even in Uganda, what that entails. He had a degree in psychology in Uganda. And he said this degree in psychology encouraged him to, to no longer believe in God. So we began talking. The man was very defiant as atheists tend to be that they, they, they have no foundation for their beliefs, but they're, 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 you know, they're adamant about it. And, uh, they believe their beliefs are scientifically founded. But when you try to observe and reproduce what they say they believe, which is the requirement to call it science. Uh, they can't reproduce it. It can't be observable. It's, it's, it's all a matter of faith. It's a religion. And so we began talking to this man and, and, um, he was telling me that, that, uh, all us Americans who come and do this, we're all lost. So well, lost, lost in what way is it? Well, you're lost before God. Well, I thought you didn't believe in God. Well, I'm, I'm saying, I'm just saying, you don't know what you're, you're, <laughs> and so, you know, he, he got all twisted up and, and didn't know what to say. And, uh, he said, have you ever talked to a trained psychologist? I said, I do. I'll tell you what they do every time they run. We get into conversation and I start pinning down what they're saying and showing them the, their own hypocrisy and they run. And, uh, so he laughed defiantly, loud, disrespectfully. I mean, he was very disrespectful. We talked more and more, and, and um, he began to see the hypocritical nature of what he believes. Uh, you know, he, he said, I can tell you where everything came from. I said, okay, where, where'd it come from? He said, all came from the ground. I said, okay, where'd the ground come from? What well, came from the sky? I said, okay, where'd the sky come from? And he began to, re- to quickly realize we were going to trace this back until he could tell me where everything came from, which, of course, he cannot do. He has no foundation for that. At some point, at some point, your, your ability to trace things back to, a, to, a, to an origin, to a starting point, falls flat. Unless there is something outside of that system that exists eternally who played a role in creating it. That's a scientific fact. That, that, that is a scientific postulate that scientists used to adhere to. I, I said, so you believe in science? He said, oh, yes, I only believe in science. I said, well, science says something cannot, cannot come from nothing. So where did, where did, where did your world come from? And of course, he had no idea, so he started his car, hit the gas, and drove away. <laughs> He's another psychologist who ran away. That's what they do. They're cowards. They're either disrespectfully defiant or when you begin to pin down the, their hypocrisy, they live a life of, it, it's, 
It's incoherent, and they know that. But the only other direction to turn is the fear of God, a creator. And they will not have that. So I looked at Gross, and I said, this is what we say in America, in our church, when we, when we see this. When they run away like that, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Nobody was chasing that man. Nobody was running after that man. There was no reason for him to leave. There was no reason for him to run away. But he ran away, like psychologists tend to do. They're so arrogant and so defiant. They, they live in a, in a bubble in the universities. And, and through this bubble, they pat each other on the back and make each other feel and, 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 and uh, sound wonderful. But then when they meet someone who will confront them and call out their hypocrisy, they don't know how to handle that. They're like spoiled children. They don't want you to call them out. They just want you to, to agree that their intellect and their intelligence is, is so wonderful that you should just bow down at their feet. Not going to happen. So in the second year of Darius the king, Judah feared the Lord. They pleased God. They completed the temple. Even in the face of great adversity, all this was accomplished. So what could we get accomplished together if we all feared God? Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.